You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kyle Logan, titled Jesus, the Ark, from the series Foundations. For more info, visit creekside.org. This morning, we're talking a little bit about storytelling. Storytelling is a unique art, and as a matter of fact, there are people who make a living entirely by storytelling. Uh, it's got all these ins and outs, and there's a million ways to do it. There's all sorts of different forms of storytelling, visual, audio, all sorts of different things. But when I was little, littler, uh, <laughs> my family and I would listen to these audio cassettes, which as history books will tell us, was how people listened to music before compact discs came around. I don't know if you know that, but they're a thing. And uh, they were really cool. You could rewind them with a butter knife. Um, <laughs> my family had this tape that we wore to death by a professional storyteller named Odds Bodkin. Does anybody know Odds Bodkin? No, of course not. Uh, my wife makes fun of me all the time. She's like, you're such a nerd. Nobody knows who that is. So Odds Bodkin was this incredible mastermind of a storyteller. He would do all these different voices, high voices, low voices, old voices, young voices. And not only that, he played a Celtic harp in the middle of it. And so he'd do all these voices, and then he'd intersperse these little do-do-do-do-do. And it was so cool. I, I, I was just entranced by it as a kid. And he had this command over dynamics. Dynamics are one of the things that makes a story great. There are those moments, those soaring moments where the voice expands and we're all drawn in. And then the emphatic silence that helps us listen. One of my other favorite storytelling techniques is to get real deep into a moment. And and, and you're about to reveal a crucial element of what's going to happen in the story. And we're on the edge of our seats and maybe we're about to learn the identity of someone and Oh my goodness, we're getting closer and closer to the detail, and the detail is. (laughs) Boom, and you you get it, right? (laughs) I love storytelling. I loved it. Uh, And and as a matter of fact, I want to talk a little bit about modern storytelling. Uh, There's a lot of different forms of storytelling, as I said earlier. You know, we've got books, which we all love, uh, audio books for those of us who maybe don't love books. And then we've got, uh, you know, uh, Shakespeare in the Park. We have all these different ways of experiencing stories. One of our favorites, of course, is film. We love to go to the movies, do we not? I want to show you a clip this morning that sort of illustrates this idea of foreshadowing. Foreshadowing is another very powerful storytelling element. A lot of times in a story, you will be uh, given a tidbit or a detail that's going to come into play later. You know what I mean? I, I love those moments where you go, oh, that's what happened. Good jokes always have foreshadowing in them. A lot of great stories have foreshadowing in them. And uh, I want to show you something. Actually, let's define this. Foreshadowing, a verb, a warning or indication of a future event. It can be good or bad, but foreshadowing is really the element of of giving us a a glimpse into the future, if just for a moment. And I'd like to show you this clip, so if you'd turn your eyes to the screen, we're going to see an example of foreshadowing. I couldn't find any mob bosses. Well, Sergeant. Oh, it's Lieutenant now. 
You really started something. Bad cops running scared, hope on the streets. What? The Narrows is lost. And we still haven't picked up Crane or half the inmates of Arkham that he freed. We will. We can bring Gotham back. What about escalation? Escalation. When we start carrying semi-automatics, they buy automatics. We start wearing Kevlar. They buy armor-piercing rounds. Yeah. And you're wearing a mask. Jumping off rooftops. Now take this guy. Armed robbery, double homicide. Got a taste for the theatrical, like you. Leaves a calling card. said thank you. In Christopher Nolan's most recent trilogy of the Batman movies, starring the hunky Christian Bale, he makes use of the storytelling tool of foreshadowing. And for all of us who are fans or sub-fans or just sort of, sort of fans like me, who's friends with a lot of fans who go crazy over this kind of stuff, that moment where you see the Joker card is like, <gasps> it's going to be the Joker, oh my gosh. Everybody was really excited about it, and I was too, because who doesn't love the Joker? Whether it's Jim Carrey or not, the Joker's a great character. He's a wonderful villain. And you get a taste of that at the end of the first Batman. Well, what if I told you that Christopher Nolan and indeed every other storyteller throughout all of history, no matter what their medium is, learned the art of foreshadowing from the master storyteller and creative mind of the universe, God. You see, all throughout the Bible, there are elements of foreshadowing that point to the future, especially in the Old Testament. What I love about the Old Testament is the New Testament directly about Jesus in the present, in the moment, and then in the New Testament also post-Jesus, what is happening because of him and all of the growth thereafter of the church and the evolution of it. But the Old Testament has immediate application and then one layer below it, the manifold presence of the foreshadowing of the person of Jesus. And I love that. I'm super lucky today to be part of this foundation series. If you're just joining us, we've been on a journey through Genesis. And we let the smart guy handle all the details, Pastor Jeremy. So I get to, I get to just give you this beautiful, passionate message uh, that is super close to my heart. And uh, it's one that I love. I've, I've written songs about it and, and uh, journaled about it and had thoughts about it. It's the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ in the story of Noah. So let's go ahead and crack the book in Genesis 7 as we move along. Genesis chapter 7. I'm going to read a fair amount of scripture, so just uh, hang in there with me. I'll try to make it as entertaining as possible. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Okay, right there, we have our first immediate application. What is that telling us? Nothing is in the Bible that doesn't need to be. There's no extraneous stuff. The fact that 
uh, the scripture is affirming Noah as a righteous man in his generation and, and that the Lord is speaking to him most likely because of that tells us something, that God is in community, in communion with this person who is pursuing righteous life. That's a great immediate application for us. And we'll continue to look at those immediate applications and then dive deeper. He says to Noah, <clears throat> go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate. And also seven of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep the various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. You've heard Pastor Terry talk about uh, a book ending with truth and grace. I believe this is bookends of obedience, if you will. The chapter begins with an affirmation of Noah's righteousness and, and ends this paragraph, not the chapter itself, but the paragraph ends with, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. All, not part, not somewhat, but all. I love that, and I don't think it's coincidence. Let me read on. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth, and Noah and his sons, and his wife and his sons, wives, entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood, pairs of clean and unclean animals, of the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. I'm going to jump a little bit ahead in my notes for those of you who are following along, and I'm going to talk about the two gifts I believe God gave Noah. The first gift, I really, truly believe, was provision. Notice how God sent him seven of every kind of clean animal and two of every kind of unclean animal. He did this because he was providing for Noah sustenance for his family. Now, uh, just so you know, God, of course, intended him to eat the clean animals and not the unclean animals. Why is that? A lot of us get caught up in the Old Testament with all these uh, rules and regulations that God gives out to his people. And we sort of think, God, you know, what is with this? There's like so many laws, so many laws. And then you kind of come to find that modern-day science affirms the fact that uh, there was no way to prepare an unclean animal back then to be eaten. And so what really looks like a law was just sort of a, a protection, a guardrail. God said, hey, don't eat this because you'll get sick and die. That's pretty protective, you know what I mean? Um, there's that aspect of it, the provision. And then the other element that I love is that God's, uh, God provides a way for Noah's family. I, I find it really interesting that God affirms Noah's righteousness, but that the Bible doesn't really necessarily talk about his son's and his son's wives. Now, I'm not saying they were unrighteous. I think that it was, it was a righteous family unit under the headship of Noah. But I also know that it was Noah's relationship specifically that was the link to their relationship with God and that his leadership of their family was what's, what, what brought his sons into the ark. No Noah, no ark. You get what I'm saying? I love that God provided a way for Noah's sons through Noah's righteousness and, of course, probably their righteousness as, as well. But I think it's important to see that. And along those lines, I want to I say this. For me, it is so hard to pray for myself to get stuff or to be provided for or whatever. But guys, isn't it so easy to pray for somebody else? We're like, oh, Lord, just, you know, bless them, and especially your kids. If any of you have kids, you're like, it's so easy for me to pray for my kids. It's so easy for me to pray for my daughter. 
and sons and daughters. Isn't it so easy to pray for your parents? <laughs> Just kidding. No. <clears throat> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So it's, it's very easy to pray for other people is my point. I want to let you know that God hears the prayers of a righteous man. Scripture affirms that. It says it in Proverbs 15, 29. If you are praying for your children, and I know many of you are, God hears that. Okay, And we as a staff, whenever you write it down on those prayer cards, we are praying with you. And I may not be righteous, but Pastor Terry is, and God's listening to him. (laughs) So honestly, keep praying for your kids. We are joined with you in that endeavor. Kids, pray for your parents. Brothers, pray for your sisters. Sisters for your brothers. Siblings for each other. Family for each other. We as a church, pray for the city of Martinez and the area beyond. God hears our prayers. He hears those prayers. One of the things I've learned is that one prayer that God is never going to say no to is when you ask him to bless somebody. In one way or another, he is going to do it. Bless and save. Those are the two prayers that we know God will fully uh, do his best to meet us in. Um, Okay, so provision. I just love that. I want to tell you a story from my life. Uh, Back before we were blessed with the privilege of coming here and working with you guys, uh, I worked at a church in Southern California, and the bigger part of my compensation was that I lived on campus at the church. I lived upstairs at the church, Um, and I loved it. Just so you know, I'm not complaining. It was really great. It was a growing experience, but all that to say, sometimes, you know, uh, times were tight. And one particular week where our uh, washing machine had been broken by excess use because we weren't the only people who lived there, we couldn't wash our clothes. And so uh, we ended up going to the local laundromat down the street. And I opened my ashtray, which is where pastors keep their quarters because they don't smoke. I opened my ashtray and I looked for my quarters and I didn't have any. And I think, oh. So I close it. I'm like, you know, let's just get the stuff out of the car. I'll go back. I'll dig under the cushions and I'll, under the seats, and I'll try to find what I can find. Who knows? Maybe we'll find a fiver. That would be great. Can I tell you, I didn't find a fiver, but this is what happened. I go back, and I, I just go, Lord, please, please, God, help my eyes to see. Maybe I missed them. And I slide that ashtray open again, and there were quarters in there. Uh, I, I, I just... I'm, I'm not a witness to much of the miraculous. You know, I, I know people get healed and I know all this stuff happens. I haven't been there when it's happened, uh, but I believe it and I know it. And, and I know God does those things because he's powerful and he still works in the miraculous. But let me tell you, I'm a witness of the mini miraculous because I got to see that. And you know, it was not small to me, not at all, if only because I wanted to smell good for Sunday. <laughs> Parable of the quarters, that's that one. Okay, let's move on. The other gift God gave Noah was protection. And I want to illuminate this uh, by reading ahead in the uh, dialogue here. Here it is. In the 600th year, I'm picking up at verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And on that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing. 
as God commanded Noah, and then the Lord shut him in. I love how it doesn't just say Noah and his family walked into the ark, they grabbed these giant ropes, pulled them closed, and the doors were sealed. No, it says the Lord himself shut them in. That is like the ultimate I got your back moment. Scripture says that God goes before us, prepares a way, and that we prepare a way for the Lord in worship. But this is literally God behind you. I love the idea that the Lord shut them in. Let's return to verses 15 and 16 of chapter 17. Uh, 15 and 16 of chapter 7. I want to show you something else. For 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth. As the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Do you know what the tallest mountain in the world is right now? It's Mount Everest, and it's 29,028 feet and 9 inches. So the modern-day equivalent of if we flooded now would be 29,048 feet and 9 inches, which is an unimaginable number. But the idea that God separated Noah, put him on this ship, and then shut him in to float high above the highest mountain in his divine protection is such a beautiful one. I believe the Lord's provision and protection is available to us now. And and I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want to share with you some verses that I love. When we opened in Genesis, we discussed the fact that after Adam and Eve fell, the Lord provided for them. It's in Genesis 3.21. It says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. God shed the first blood to cover and provide for and protect his children. Not only to cover their sin, but also to cover their bodies from the cold, protect them. Genesis 9.3, this is after the flood. God says to Noah, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. It goes on, Exodus. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. God says to Job in 3841, who provides for the raven its prey? When its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food, he's saying, I provide for the ravens. That just reminded me of another verse, uh, Elijah in the mountains, who's fed by the ravens, God's provision there as he's resting. Then here's my favorite, Psalms 81. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. That is so, so good. Those are some of my favorite verses. Let's return to the idea of foreshadowing. In the present day, we know that God's provision and protection are on us and and I truly believe uh, that he confirms it in nature and scripture, which is why I share those scriptures with you. But I want to I return now and look at the text through the next layer. We've investigated it practically, and we've seen what God did for Noah and does for us now. But let's look at that second layer I talked about earlier, the, the foreshadowing, okay? Paul writes about Jesus in Romans 5, 12 through 17, and he says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, 
and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. This term pattern, it also means type. We look at the Old Testament and we look for patterns and types of Jesus, basically foreshadowing elements of Jesus. So every great author who's ever borrowed the idea was inspired originally by the creative God of the universe who made you a creative being. So we dig and and we search and we seek for the image of Christ in those who came before him. And, and, And Paul clearly affirms that Adam was a pattern of Jesus, that he came into the world through the creation of God and essentially brought death to all men through his decisions, right? But the great thing is, here comes Jesus, referred to by Paul as the last Adam who brings eternal life, closes the book on that. I love it. It's such a clear picture and and such a clear correlation. There's a thread throughout all of Scripture that tells this story. The manifold, meticulous revelation of who Jesus is. Now, I want to take a different path here, and I want us to look at Cain and Abel. And let's fill in Abel on the screen with Jesus as a sacrifice. Now, you're going to say, Kyle, wait a second. That sounds a little unbiblical. Where is the verse for this? And I'm going to tell you, there's no verse like Paul has that literally says, Adam is a pattern of Jesus. But here's where I draw the correlation between Abel and Jesus. Look at Cain. Look at the provision God provides Cain. He says, yes, you murdered your brother. Yes, you will wander as a result. But I'm going to put a mark on you that protects you from men. And as a matter of fact... Not only do I provide for you this means of safety, I will protect you by exacting vengeance on those who would seek vengeance against you. God protects and provides for a murderer. Do you think maybe that's a little more than he deserved? A man who killed his brother, protected and provided for by God. God took this situation and tells a story of great grace through it. Now, let me ask you a question. Where do I get the idea of Abel as Jesus. Who was it that killed their brother, Jesus? I love it because first service, a couple people piped out a few different great answers, but my favorite answer, Aaron right there, he says, me. Friends, we are all Cain. You and I, pardoned and protected by the God of the universe, And through that line of reasoning, I say, Abel was a bit of a Jesus pattern. He's a bit of a Jesus type because he ultimately is the lens of truth by which we see God's great grace. If Abel does not die, God doesn't show through his love to Cain what he feels for us as well. And I'm reminded then, what about the person who was free on the day Jesus was condemned? Who knows the name? Barabbas. What was Barabbas? A murderer. What happened on that day was perfect. Jesus frees a murderer and takes his place on the cross. This is, yes, 
Praise God. This is chapter two of that great grace when God said, Cain, I will protect you. He says to you and I, we're Barabbas, my friends. And he says to you and I, I will take your place. It, it had to be Barabbas. It couldn't just be a thief. It couldn't just be a, a gossiper or a fornicator or whatever. It had to be a murderer because you and I, friends, we are that role. Whenever we read a story, we want to place ourselves in the story. And when I would read the Jesus narrative, especially of the betrayal, I'd go, man, sometimes I'm Judas. Sometimes I deny Jesus three times. Sometimes I'm Pilate because, man, I can pass judgment. But every time I am Barabbas because every time I'm pardoned by God. I love the language in this song we sing sometimes, the judge is my defense. Such a beautiful image. So that's how I say it's biblical. I don't have the credentials that Paul had as a saint of the gospel, and I can't say that this is the exact verse that would refer to Abel as a type for Jesus. But what I can say is through my identifying with Cain, I can say that that, that I have faith in that idea. So now let's look at the story of Noah. Who is Jesus in this story? You might be surprised to learn that Jesus is not Noah. You might guess that because Noah stays righteous in a wicked generation. Like Jesus did when he was on earth. Blameless, pure, clean sacrifice for us. But it wasn't Noah. You might think, well, Noah listens and obeys God like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Lord, let this cup pass from my lips. If there's another way, let it be, but your will be done. Well, like Noah, Jesus was righteous in a wicked time and obedient and submitted to God, but he wasn't a Jesus type. You might say, but Kyle, Noah begins the line, leading to Abraham, Isaac, Judah, God's chosen people, and then King David, and eventually Jesus. And yes, true again, but I just don't believe that Noah is the pattern of Christ we see. So you say, okay then, what? Is Jesus the flood? And I said, no. Jesus is not the divine retribution of God. In in Revelation, we'll look at Jesus as a conqueror, but in our time, Christ comes to save. Jesus is not the divine retribution. The flood is a symbol of God's wrath, his judgment. it's, it's, It's the same cup that Jesus drank from in the New Testament. It's the wrath of God poured out. I just want you to use that metaphor of water. The very cup that Jesus drank, the wrath of God, is the image of this flood, okay? 2,049, 8 feet and 9 inches of retribution. Okay. Jesus is not that because you and I, my friend, we are Noah. We're probably not as righteous as he is, but we're working on it. And through our continual obedience to God, God is making us righteous, as Romans says, through, through the transformation of our minds, the renewing of our minds, we're becoming more and more righteous. And we get to borrow Christ's righteousness when God looks on us because he stands in our place as he did for Barabbas. So we have this beautiful idea of the fact that, you know, you and I in this story, we're Noah. God has literally provided for us a means to survive and then protected us from everything else. He has shut us in, my friends, and he has taken care of us. Okay. We have been provided and protected from the rushing waters. We are standing firmly on the ark. The ark 
of all salvation. My friend, I hold the belief that the type of Jesus, the pattern of Jesus in this story is the ark. It is our our firm foundation. It is our source of salvation. Do you know what a mercy ship is? A mercy ship is is a traveling ship equipped with doctors and medicine and means and provision. And anybody can come to a mercy ship and receive care from Somalian pirates to a doctor without borders. Christ is our mercy ship. He is the ark of all salvation. From Adam to the end, from the platform to the ends of the earth. That is Jesus for us. And this means two things. We, this service probably more than first, it might have visitors and, and I, I just am so honored that you guys are here and, and, and sharing your morning with us. If you are a visitor, uh, this is not an act of coercion, but today might be the day that you do a little bit of business in your heart with the Lord. Today might be a day that you say, yes, God, I want to stand on that ship. I want you to close the door behind me. I want the supernatural protection of your love and your life. And friend, if that is your choice today, I celebrate that. Pastor Terry said earlier, the angels celebrate in heaven when someone is added to the number of the saints. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything, just so you know. If that's you, congratulations. We're going to pray towards the end and, and and we'll celebrate your choice. But... If you've already received that, friend, the time has come to bring somebody else into the ark. We have a divine duty to get off the sidelines and join the team sport that is our faith to provide that provision and protection through our life and the ministry of Christ in us to others. Today is the day that you pick up the commission of Christ to go forth and make disciples and bring salvation to every tribe and tongue. There are people you can reach that I don't know. There are people I know that you can't reach. We each have a a place and a time with which to live. And so if you know this Jesus, if you are on this mercy ship, take somebody else along for the ride.